Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. You know, this, this program is sponsored by the National Cooperative Bank. And NCB's customers are cooperatives such as grocery, wholesale co-ops, food co-ops, purchasing co-ops, credit unions, or housing co-ops. Other customers share in the spirit of cooperation, driven by democratic organizing principles. They may be Native American enterprises, which by their very nature are member-run and member-owned. Others may be community health centers or nonprofit organizations driven entirely by community needs. What they all have in common is a single fundamental principle. They have joined together cooperatively to meet personal, social, and or business needs. And today we have on the phone with us Mr. Campbell Johnson. Good morning, Campbell. Good morning. Well, he launched a nonprofit called Urban Housing Allowance. We maybe have some technological difficulties here. Urban Housing Alliance is the Washington metropolitan area. It focuses on providing comprehensive strategies and direct help to fight displacement of at-risk, low, and moderate-income residents and businesses. So its fundamental principle is to meet the personal and business needs of the community, and that's why it's fitting for us to talk to him this morning as soon as we can get him on the line. So while we're doing that, we're going to talk a little bit about what cooperatives are. Cooperatives are any business that you can think of. It depends on who owns and controls that business. And we've talked about alliances and cooperatives before. If a business is owned by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. So, therefore, any business you could think of could be owned by the employees, whether that's IBM or the local laundromat. Any business could be owned by the employees and be a worker cooperative. And if it's owned by the people that uses the products or services, owned and controlled, then it is a consumer cooperative. And you have credit unions, housing co-ops, a lot of your food co-ops. The members are the people who uses that business. So if a cooperative, like some farmers and some artists will get together, and there's a local group that's done this, CPA, Consumer Purchasing Alliance, These are charter schools and churches that get together and buy things as a group. So when they purchase things as a group, they buy volume so they can get a better profit. Also, the people that work in the cooperative and that business get the skill sets of working with those vendors, and they create the contracts that are good for their members. So that's on one end, particularly for farmers and the USDA have the US, U.S. Department of Agriculture has a lot of knowledge about cooperatives because the farmers have been dealing with cooperatives since the 20s and 30s. And that's when they buy their products that they need, whether it's gasoline or equipment, trucks, tractors, 
or whether they are buying seed. And then farmers will produce and artists will produce whatever they're making. And then they join another co-op to sell their products, to market their products. And that's called a marketing cooperative. And likewise, the marketing cooperatives gets the skill sets, the administration, how you open up more markets for the products, uh, whether that is on the Internet or whether that's more stores that they have their products in. So you can get economies of scales so that you will be able to increase your financial wealth. And by belonging to these groups, the artists who more often than not and farmers are introverted in that they're working on their own and they're not out in, in the public that much, but they begin to work with these groups of farmers or groups of artists and they get this, the skill sets to either purchase the goods that they need and or to sell their products. So the alliance, the Urban Housing Alliance, they come together and work with different organizations to help people so that they won't be displaced. And in the district and gentrification, that begins to happen a lot, that folks are pushed out of their homes, out of neighborhoods they perhaps have grown up in. They're pushed out because of high taxes or because of high pricing, and which causes high taxes. So that is what ends up happening when people come together to try to help these tenants or these owners. Co-ops, particularly in housing, and this has always been fascinating to me to, to find this out, that in housing, when you look at HUD, you look at the money that HUD guarantees or money that HUD puts out to provide affordable housing. Research has been done to look at the housing that they had put their money together for to create housing cooperatives. And when they created those housing co-ops, they also took and compared to money that HUD put together to create apartment buildings. And what happened is that every variable you can think of, every variable you can think of, the housing co-ops outperformed the apartments. The owners of the apartment buildings would not put money back in there. They also wanted a profit so that the rents were higher in an apartment building than in a co-op, particularly over time. There was one property in Atlanta that they did one study just on that property, and it turned out that that property for a two-bedroom was running about $500. Down the street, an apartment was running about $700, $200 more. But the people in the apartment building that was run by the board of directors they took money back and fixed up the apartment complex where the people that were in investing for the apartment buildings, they didn't invest for roofs and windows and so forth. So the, part of the property went down in terms of the, its quality. So every variable you could think of, the housing co-ops outperform the apartment buildings, but it's amazing that HUD doesn't put much money in the housing co-ops. They put money in apartment buildings, and my belief is that's because the politicians get their money from developers. Then they'll create policies for the developers, and developers don't make money on co-ops. They make money on apartment buildings. So it seems to be this really, really vicious circle of, oh, there's one really important variable. The people that live in the housing co-op feel better. 
They're at more at home. They help each other. It is community. So people love what they love their space. It's better space. It's less rent. They get right tax write off. They get a return on their investment, which they don't do in apartment buildings. They get social wealth because they learn how to work with each other. They learn how to work with the police. They learn how to work with council people and so forth. So you'd have to ask your question, why wouldn't HUD put money into housing co-ops? And the only thing that I can come up with is because the politicians are bought out by developers and rich folk, and rich folk make money off of poor folk. So that's what happens over and over and over again. And we have Mr. Campbell Johnson in studio with us this morning. I thought he was going to be on the phone, so I'm glad to see him in. Good morning, Campbell. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. And you? Blessed and highly favored. Amen. I'm glad you're in this morning. You heard me talk about the difference between housing co-ops and apartment buildings, and I saw you shaking your head positively. What has been your experience with wealthy folks taking advantage of POFO? Well, that's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Yes. That's been a continuing situation. But one of the interesting things about cooperatives is that cooperatives span such a broad range of activity and that cooperatives can work for the benefit of people, yeah. folks. Yeah. Right. And this is this is just plain amazing. And you've lived in D.C. long enough to know if you've you know, been in D.C. and you've been in D.C., uh, long enough to know that the politicians are getting rich over what uh, people in the Wilson building tend to refer to as economic development, which is two things, condos and co-ops. I mean, condos and commercial, excuse me. Yeah. It would be nice if it was co-ops. And what does that do for the people who live in D.C.? That gives you a job. You could be a sales clerk. You could be a cashier. You could be a maintenance person with a bucket and a mop. Or you could be in some other position, but it's not anything that's going to earn enough money where you're going to be able to stay in D.C. So this is is the primary problem, I think, that our people in the Wilson building have forgotten who they are really supposed to be. Are they supposed to be public servants? Did did you ever refer? (laughs) Well, you know, um, I've been in in D.C. for 30 years, and I know you, you are Washingtonian. Third generation. Third generation. So you all, all your life. Yes, so far. Uh, so far. Okay. And so you've seen, I've seen such gentrification in the 30 years I've been here. I came here in 87, and when you would come up 14th Street, 14th and U was terrible. Absolutely. Okay. A lot of areas that that are really booming now was in really bad shape in 87 from, from the riots in 63, 65 times. Uh, so... Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of change here. The whole Columbia Heights area. I remember doing some development in houses, 11 houses in Columbia Heights, right between 13th and 14th on Columbia, Irving and Irving. And uh, you couldn't give those houses away in, in 1995, 1994, 1995. Some of them had been, there was one house that had been vacant for 35 years. And we started a nonprofit, started renovating them, and they sold for four hundred thousand the first set, in about ninety nine and ninety eight, 
2002, the second set sold for like 600000 The third set in 2005 sold for almost a million. Right. Tremendous growth in that area. Now, I don't know what those houses would run from you, that. You, you, can't, you can't touch it. You yeah. know, and, and an amazing thing that had occurred because there was uh, supposedly a uh, sale of properties so that poor people could compete for them. And what happened, this was a homestead situation, and you could buy, you know, for $100, you could have a property. Well, one of the things that occurred was that a lady had gotten one of these homestead properties, and what uh, took place was that she had a lot of uh, proposed construction to be done and rehabilitation to be done, and it ended up that after the first year, her assessment, property assessment, was going to be over $600,000. Sure, and they're, they're taxes. But we've got to take our first break. We'll be right back with Campbell Johnson. Please don't touch that down. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.S. 95.9 F. Information is power, and that's why the W.L. makes such a great partner for this program, because on this program, we want to give you information. You know, it isn't the information where you get the power. You get the power by using the information. It's like the information is like gasoline. Until you put something to it, that gasoline, there is no power in it. It's stored power, but it's no power. You've got to do something. In a car, the pistons will spark the gas, and that gives you the power. In order to have power from information, you have to use it. So we will give you information about cooperatives with the hope that you would either go start your own co-op where you can get you can give you information where you can get technological assistance in starting your own, or you can go out and, and search out co-ops to buy their products or, and or like live in a, in a co-op or find a credit union, if not a lower price, because they don't have the, the profit motive. And a lot of times people are volunteering in, in a co-op. Mr. Campbell Johnson, we said that you were Washingtonian, and you grew up here. Where did you go to school? I graduated high school from McKinley. Of course, I did McKinley go to Bruce Tech. Elementary and uh, also to Lucretia Mott. Elementary and then Langley Junior High. Oh yeah, you're Washingtonian, <laughs> and you got in, in college. Yes, uh, started out at West Point. Then I woke up and I said, "Wait a minute! I think I really want to do something more useful with my life." And uh, I ended up with a bachelor of science degree in science business, and uh, went on to get where a, from. Uh, from San Francisco State University. Oh, you went all the way out there. Okay. And then I went on to uh, the University of Pennsylvania, uh, got an MBA in finance from the Wharton School, and uh, subsequent to that I got it. I was involved in commercial banking, and uh, from there I worked with OIC of America. People may recall hearing of Reverend Leon Sullivan, mm-hmm. who set up uh, OICs around the country, and we set out to provide opportunities so that poor folks could own businesses in their communities. And I was national finance and management developer for OIC, 
in that regard. And uh, we were able to accomplish, I think, some very positive things for a number of communities around the country. And uh, subsequent to that, what I've been involved in, I was uh, executive vice president of a national development finance firm and uh, then worked for the state of Maryland in economic development. Mm. And, uh, you know, we went on to where I was involved with uh, the D.C. Private Industry Council. I was vice president there and directed the community business center there. And uh, we helped people who are former welfare recipients to be able to gain the skills, the technical skills, plus the acumen, the work ethic, work, uh, you know, interest to possess positions, career positions. Uh, we got people hired by the, uh, you know, the the American Bankers Association and whatnot. And mm -hmm. uh, so these were folks who had skills and were able to launch careers. Uh, so, th you know, that's something that I think is very positive and, and that I'm uh, very proud of having been a part of. I started Urban Housing Alliance really because as a tenant, I uh, was in the tenant association, and of course when they found out I had a banking background, oh, you got to be on that board, you got to be on that board. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so I got on the board. I didn't know any, anything about condos, and uh, uh, we got a letter indicating that the building was going to be sold for condo conversion. And uh, so I'm a pretty quick study, and, and I was able to get us a loan for $330,000, uh, a bank loan, whereby we were able to make money rather than pay money on the deal. And we could have had that building, 392 units. And uh, that would have been an ideal situation. But, of course, D.C. is politics. And <laughs> there were a number of challenges that came up, and we didn't, the building never did really sell. Campbell, um, how did you go from West Point to banking to with OCI? Oh, I see. Oh, I see. How did you How did you make the transition? Banking is normally, because I, I thought I wanted to be a banker once. The bankers seem like they are able to hold on to money. They learn about money. But from the sort of capitalistic model of making money, why well, I went to get an MBA, and I assume why you went to get the MBA, and then go into OIC, then your um, urban housing alliance. How, how did that transition happen? Well, the transition wasn't really so much of a transition. My grandfather was uh, very well known in D.C., and he, in fact, is the person, the person, people think it was Harry Truman, he's the person who integrated the armed forces of the United States. Uh, he was also, at the same time that he was assistant director of Selective Service, he was the executive secretary of the 12th Street Y. And the 12th Street Y became a very much of an icon in the community. And what my grandfather did was he worked for the people throughout okay. his life. And uh, so it wasn't a big step for me because this was what I was born and bred under. And uh, so I was just looking at serving folks in banking. I was looking at what do you, you know, you get all this conceptual stuff from graduate school, but then how do you apply that to the real world? And that's why I was involved in commercial banking. And, you know, from there I worked with OIC and we were able to do a lot of very positive kinds of things. And then to Urban Housing Alliance, uh, when 
you know, I was trying to get some laws. I knew we needed new laws, new rent control laws in D.C., and uh, we were able to do that. And I took move from the platform of that tenant association to creating an urban housing alliance so that we had a citywide entity, and we were able to get five laws passed in 2005 to uh, really boost rent control. But, of course, you know the lawyers on, on K Street and Connecticut Avenue, they, uh, you know, work to undermine. As soon as you leave the room with the uh, council members, uh, they come in and they do their thing. But uh, these laws still had a have a significant ongoing impact for tenants in D.C. Well, it would be interesting. Do, do you know of any studies or anything to look at how – with its gentrification, how many people have left the city, particularly black folk? That's that's a very sensitive subject, and I'm sure I've had that number in proposals that I've written, but it's it's an astounding and depressing kind of, of number in terms of the people who have uh, left or, or been, quote, run out of town uh, because of things here. One of the things that's kind of interesting is that D.C., I believe, is the only place in the country where we have annual property reassessments. The only pl and that's the only place, look at the country and Canada, it's the only place where it's annualized. And the whole process of property taxes is geared to push people out of town. And so one of the things Urban Housing Alliance does is to challenge property assessments. And we help people, uh, and we've been doing this for more than a decade now, uh, helping people to challenge their property assessments, and we've made recommendations to change the laws. But wait a minute, Campbell, I, I, uh, I want to challenge you right now. I heard you say that the annual assessment, so he, here's the way I understand annual assessment, so you can tell me if it's correct or not. I have a house, or I have a condo, I have a co-op, some ownership. D.C. will come out and they'll send some $500,000 last year, but now it's gone up to five fifty. So we're going to raise your assessed value to five fifty for 2018. Okay. Now, the tax rate stays the same on that 500 to five fifty, but you just had a 10% increase in your taxes. Absolutely. That's, that's the way it it happened. Right. Okay. Now, you said the, the reason is to push people out. That's what I want to challenge you. I think the reason is, and if you don't believe me, you can ask them. Is to, to give to multimillionaires for, like, uh, baseball stadiums and other such things that don't make sense, while yet and still we don't have a public hospital in D.C. <laughs> so, <laughs> you say, I'm right that it is to raise money, but what are they going to use that money for? That's that's the issue, and what they're going to use the money for, and uh, they a lot of the money that's raised goes right into their campaign contributions, and so they raise their money raise the money to get reelected, and uh, so or, or to do things that don't make any sense uh, to regular folks. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Remember, about twenty five years ago. Uh, folks knew that all kinds of development was going to take place in D.C. And what did D.C. government do? They shut down vocational education. 
help us, Lord. Somebody ought to be in jail for that. <laughs> okay, so you know that there's going to be uh, construction going on, and you're going to need people for those contractors, and then they shut down the the Shut down FOCAD. We're going to have to take our second break. We'll be right back with more information about this assessed value of, of, of properties, driving up property taxes so that people, particular people on fixed incomes and people with lower incomes cannot pay, and therefore they end up losing their homes unless the Urban Alliance comes in and steps in with Mr. Campbell Johnson. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. National Corp Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's mission is, is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So we have Mr. Campbell Johnson in studio with us this morning talking about we when we took break we were talking about the assessments of property taxes. Campbell, I I, I, I keep wanting to take issue with you up here, but sure. How how can you prove that the politicians will take monies out of when we when they raise money for like raising the taxes or raising the assessed value, keeping the tax rate the same? But raising a tax assessment and then somebody's taxes will go up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent. When I gave you the example in Columbia Heights, it went from uh, the sales went from like 350,000 to a million dollars. That's like triple. So your property taxes triple too. And if somebody was living on a fixed income, they may not be able to pay that those taxes. And then you said uh, that. The, the politicians will figure out sometimes, I said, that they will ra- raise that assessed value so they can get income into the coffers of the city so they can run the city and provide police and education and fire and roads and all of that. Yeah. And you said, if I got you right, that they will also take some of that money and put it in their campaigns to, to run well, their campaign. Not the monies from the taxes. Now, okay, that that's, would be that's illegal. why I wanted to clear up. Yeah, that, that would be illegal. That's what I heard, and I went, and, didn't and, think you meant that. And but, some okay. folks can go to jail for that. Okay. But what they do is that when they are able to sell off uh, government property, okay, D.C. government property, they sell that off to a developer, and the developer makes a huge contribution to their candidates' offices. Let me ask you this. Why is it that Wells Fargo Bank, which I worked for when I was in undergraduate school, why is it Wells Fargo Bank gets to collect all of our property taxes? Well, they get to collect it, I thought, because they could do a better job of servicing that than the city. I I think that they get to collect the money because they must be good friends with Jack Evans. Jack Evans, who's the Ward 2 council person, and he's been there for, you know, an eternity and a day. Uh, he's also chair of the the council's finance committee. And 
he, I think, has steered it uh, to uh, Wells Fargo. And I'd like to know if there's a quid pro quo in there somewhere. Now, one of the things that we talked about in terms of the increase of assessments, Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be because the properties in general have increased in value. Mm, Right. Well, what happens is that they compare properties like I bought my house from the estate in 1974, okay? I've got uh, radiators. I don't have central air. I've got old appliances, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's... It's a standard old D.C. house. Okay. But they're comparing my house with properties that have been renovated, luxuriated, and gussied up and, and saying that this these are comparable to my house. No, they are not. You know, I've had all, all kinds of different damage. In fact, now I'm, I've got a roof that's about to cave in. And, uh, you know, for a lot of folks... We have repairs that are needed, et cetera, et cetera. But then what they do, the government says, we will repair your roof. But the kinds of things that they want you to have in terms of documentation, et cetera, et cetera, make it out of reach. But wait a minute now. I want to go back to this comparison um, for my information, let alone sure. the people out there. Is that, all right, you live on one block, and you're in the middle of the block, and your house is um, 2,500 square feet, three-bedroom, bath and a half. Okay. And so they'll compare your house to the house in the next block that just sold. And the only thing about that house was sold because a developer came in, and you called it gussy up. I like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> like that you, they gussied it up. They put in granite countertops, uh, stainless steel appliances. Uh, they took out the radiators. They put in central air conditioning. They put a new roof. They put in um, hardwood floors. And so they gussied it up, and they sold it for $800,000. Right. And plus which, like the guy next door to me who's doing illegal construction, they may have dug down into the basement and he was supposed to give notice to neighbors that, you know, we're going to be working on the underpinnings. I never got any notice. They dug down into the basement, and then they put another entrance in there, and now you've got two apartments rather than just one single-family house. Okay, so that's that's that one sold for a million. Okay, the one I was talking about was a single-family, similar to yours in size, 2,500 square feet, it now has two and a half baths or something or another. They put in another bath. May have a jacuzzi. Yeah. Yeah. So they sold theirs for eight hundred. So now the government will come in and say your house is valued at eight hundred thousand. Yeah. They'll say it's comparable to this other. And that's there's no way no how that it's comparable. But yet you argue with them and you know, you have like two levels of appeal. And then you can take it to court, so they say. Well, hold hold one second before you go there. So Urban Housing Alliance, Alliance, what you all do is help people with these kinds of problems. That's one of the things we do, one of them. Okay. But, we, you know, we go from soup to nuts. But, but on this one, if it happened that they raised my assessed value from 250000 to 800000 Four, three and a half, four times, and therefore my property taxes would have gone up that much. Well, I could come and talk to you, 
heard somebody from Urban Housing Alliance, and you all would help me with appealing this increase. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a thing that uh, about that that's uh, among many, uh, the process is set up to defeat you. What's your first level of appeal? It's to somebody who's in the Office of Tax and Revenue. Who is he paid by? He's paid by D.C. government. Where, does he, where do they get the money to pay him? From your taxes. <laughs> you know. So if he were to say, you know, I just gave Mr. Oaks $500,000 off on his property assessment, you know what would happen, Vernon, when you went in to talk to your boss? He would say, Vernon, I thought you were happy here. So, so your first appeal is through the Tax and Revenue Office. So you go in and you say you fill out a form, and you say my taxes should my assessed value should not go up to eight hundred thousand because flood damage, this, that, the other, a variety of things, you know that you can you can use in terms of saying how my house is different from these other houses that sold within the prior two years. And, uh, you know, that's very, very important because, for example, I'm located on a six-lane uh, snow emergency route with all sorts of buses and emergency vehicles running up and down the street. Most of the properties in my neighborhood don't have any lights at the corners. They don't have stores at the corners. They're more they don't have apartment buildings. There are two apartment buildings in my block. Uh, you know, it's very much different. But yet, they want to compare my property with others uh, like that. And, in fact, uh, one of them that they used last year, well, of course, they used semi-detached ones. Now, I'm just in the middle of a so row, uh, row house. Totally. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm straight up row house. And they've compared mine to uh, properties where the, they've got a garage underneath the house. Mm-hmm. show you how deeply they've dug into into the ground and everything. So these are the kinds of things that take place that make it a very unfair comparison. And if you're older and you're, you know, you're, your income is uh, fixed, fixed uh, there's no differentiation for that. You know, you're just in deep water. Now they say, oh, we won't increase it more than 10% per year. Okay. Well, if they have extra that they want to increase and they don't, you know, beyond the 10% this year, well, they'll stick it on next year's assessment and uh, they'll do it the subsequent year, etc. So they get the total amount that they want, unless, of course, you're successful in your appeal. Now, second level appeals were supposed to, in fact, the association, the International Association of Assessing Officers had as their standard for, for appeal that it would be an impartial second-level appeal. Mm -hmm. And D.C. used to have a board of real property assessments and appeals that was made up of, you know, doctors, lawyers, realtors, whomever, and they were paid $50 an hour for their service, thank you very much, and it was gone. Oh, they changed that. Now you're paying six figures to a tax appeals commission uh, where they've got a dog in the fight, you could say, because if they get more money, then, you know, you lose. Uh, the, 
And that means you get less in terms of a reduction in terms of your appeal. Are you saying that the people that work on this commission make $100,000 a year for being on this yeah, board? Yeah, some of them do. The whole, the whole Tax Appeals Commission, the first year that they put it into play, and we argued against it, they were costing the budget, oh, I guess well over a million dollars, more like a million and a half. That was the first year. Now, <laughs> you know, I, I, I see the look on your face. <laughs> you don't seem pleased, well, but that's well, reality. Okay, so here, here's what I'm hearing you saying to me. I appeal my assessed value. I, I have good grounds in my head of why I can appeal this. They take they've taken my assessed value from three hundred thousand to six hundred thousand, say in one year. Okay. And I go back and say, No, my house has not changed that much and then I look at what they compare it to and I guess that's what you can do and help right. you. And then I say, Nope, this is not a com apples to apples comparison. Exactly. All right. So at best my house should have gone up from three hundred to three twenty. Yes. Not six hundred. Okay. So that's the first level, and that's somebody that tax. So they, they at the tax level, they say, no, nope, it should be six hundred, or they say, oh well, we'll drop it to five hundred thousand from three hundred to five hundred thousand, and you say, nope, that's it should be three twenty, and so you take it to the second level of appeal, and that's the appeals board, right? And those people are making hundred thousand dollars a year right. or something right. to be on that board. Mm -hmm. All right, I see where my next job is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> So they're on this board, and then they listen to you. It's not the board. Remember, it's a tax appeals commission now. Okay. That's, that's been changed. And, and one of the things that's kind of interesting about this is that you know, every 10 years, there's a tax revision commission that comes into existence, and they look at uh, whether or not D.C.'s tax structure should be changed or something, you know. And what's happened... Uh, at the last one, with regard to the Tax Appeals Commission, some years ago, before he was mayor, uh, Tony Williams had said that real residential properties should only be reassessed once every three years. That's like the way it is in most of the rest of the country. Okay. But commercial properties can be reassessed every year. Well, he was chair of the Tax Revision Commission, sitting as far from me as you are now. And uh, I made this proposal to him. Why don't we do that? You know, what you had suggested, we're, we're what you come, had suggested. We're going to come back and talk some more about this. This is quite interesting, everybody out there. How you can keep your property and keep your taxes down. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, and 95.9 FM. Come back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative, and I have Mr. Campbell Johnson in the studio with me this morning from Urban Housing Alliance. And before we took the break, we were talking about tax assessments and how folks with low income or fixed incomes have lost and can lose their homes in any urban environment where there's gentrification, where you have the increase in housing values going up. And if it's not very careful, you could lose your house very, very quickly. So we were talking about this assessment, okay, 
So we got the first step and the second step. What's the process that you go through on your second step of appeal? Well, there you would go before a panel, a three-person panel, and uh, they are not paid $50 an hour. Uh, Thank you very much. No, they are on salary. They're getting benefits. They're getting pensions, et cetera, uh, as regular employees. So they've got a stake in terms of whether or not you get a reduction in your property assessment. You know, they've got a dog in the fight, so to speak. So, but what what has been your experience? Have you been able to get them to come down, or do they stand their ground? They stand their ground, and and oftentimes they do it uh, outside of the law. And uh, what's occurred, one lady I was helping with her property assessment appeal, and they did not give her her first level hearing. She wanted to have a hearing. They didn't give her a hearing. They did not provide the documents that she had requested. And it was just before the second level hearing, she called me up and said, Campbell, you ought to come over here. I think you'll see something interesting. And they have what they call a property record card. And uh, this shows your house and what it contains, bathrooms, bedrooms, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed on hers that it showed a nice white picket fence around her house. She doesn't have any fence around her house. <laughs> so they were using somebody else. They were using the wrong picture. They had they had gotten the wrong information. And then the person on the panel said, oh, uh, Ms. Smith, we can get this straightened out, and, and you can come back and deal with this. Well, she's in her 80s. She was using a walker to get around. And I'm so proud of her that she said, Oh, no, I did my work. You people need to do yours. And I wrote them and told them and pointed out to them how in the law it says that every, everything about what the Office of Tax and Revenue wants to present in terms of supporting its case has to be presented at that second-level hearing or it's done. Uh, they've gone outside of the information that they had Uh, When I had appealed and identified properties outside of my direct neighborhood, you know, just the other side of Howard University, that were more like my property than other properties. Bloomingdale is an exploding uh, neighborhood in terms of property uh, values and or or at least assessments. You you left this lady, the 80-some-year-old lady, to talk about your? Oh. The the, the 80-some lady, what happened with her? Did she get... She wanted. She just wanted hers to be reduced by three hundred thousand. She had a eight hundred thousand dollars. She lives west of the park, and but everything. was it was it reduced? Oh yes, it was reduced. Uh, I reminded the uh, panel, the commission, in a letter that I wrote them, quoting the law that stated thus and so and thus and so. Now, have you ever had to? Have you ever had the second review? where it, they did not lower it, and you had to take them to court? Is that the third level? That's that's the third level, but, you know, the thing is you can do other things, and folks uh, downtown, the commercial property owners, they don't necessarily do that. and, and that's They don't what, necessarily go to court. They don't necessarily go to court because what they've done in the past is that they have so badly embarrassed the assessors and the Office of Tax and Revenue 
That's why one of the major reasons why they changed to a commission uh, because they thought they would have people with higher qualifications. And, in fact, they had hoped that they would have appraisers. They are appraisers are licensed and certified. Now, curiously enough, the people in the Office of Tax and Revenue who are assessors are starting to call themselves appraisers. They call themselves bulk appraisers. I asked them one time in a meeting, I said, who licensed or certified you? <laughs> you know, they couldn't answer that question. No, they do not do an appraisal. I know that myself. <laughs> we were talking about this elderly lady. Um, what does the current D.C. Office of Aging have to do with this uh, whole process? Oh, Carolyn Nicholas, who's uh, Hilda Mason's daughter, uh, had, in addition to writing a book about Hilda and, and her family, uh, she had gotten passed uh, laws that pertain to protection for elderly people and elderly and frail people. And uh, the thing is that when you have an office of aging, that's only accountable to the mayor. And with the number of elderly people in D.C., there should be a department on aging. And that's one of the things that we're pushing for now in support of what Ms. Nicholas uh, has come forward with, is that we would have a department on aging and related services. Uh, so th this is uh, something that I think is very important, and we will be going into that as well as the appeals recommendations that we have at our next meeting, which is going to be uh, the 21st of September at the uh, 5th District uh, Police, Metropolitan Police Department, which is 1805 Bladensburg Road, Northeast. Now, one thing is that also, in terms of cooperatives, the there's a land trust, and I'm sure you're very, very familiar with this. This is something I was anticipating we would be talking about, uh, community land trusts. And uh, I am very much interested in examining that and seeing what can be applied to D.C. with regard to land trusts to avoid people being pushed out of town. And, uh, you know, you have cooperatives already, yes. But now what else can we do? to uh, support people who are, you know, putting 10, 20, 30 years in D.C. And uh, this is, is one of the things that I think we can. The uh, community land trust would be a strong vehicle for that, and maybe sometime we can address that on a, a future program of yours. Well, the, the land trust is, as you know, you have an organization or a company that owns the land underneath it and then they will lease out that land to whoever builds on it and they own that land for forever so if you build a co-op on top of it the combination of the co-op and the land trust you can have affordable housing forever okay and that's what makes it extremely nice but again getting that land and getting it and putting the land trust and getting the politicians to understand it and when you talk about affordable housing it's it's quite difficult. It is because one is it is so different, and the other one is who's talking to those politicians' ears. And it's more often than not, the people that have money have their ears. More often than not, you had mentioned earlier um, somebody becoming into politics for public service. Yes, and that would be so interesting. I did not like 
politics because when I got introduced to it in West Virginia in college, I, I surmised very quickly that the politicians were in it for themselves and their families. Absolutely. Okay, not for the public. But I heard a definition of politicians is when a group of people come together to solve a community problem. And that would be awesome if people, politicians, Absolutely. and others came together to solve community problems, and that's the definition of politician, well, then that would be really awesome. There's a young man running at large now. I haven't met him at, at all yet, but I have looked at his information online, uh, Jeremiah Lowry, and he is uh, advocating for community land trusts, and uh, I think that he may be opening uh, something of a door on uh, what has been a closed-door society. Well, Anita Bonds is starting um, uh, this year and maybe it'll be in action next year a a cooperative stakeholders meeting. Well, they, she doesn't call it state, but for low-income housing, affordable housing for cooperatives, she's starting that. And there is a cooperative stakeholders meeting that happens, I think it's on the 22nd this month. But we got two minutes, so tell, tell us you have to tell us what it is you want people to know. I, I would like for you to repeat when your next meeting is on the 21st. And is it 5th District Police Station? What time? At 6 o'clock. 6 p.m. Right. And that the 21st is? Is day? Thursday. Thursday the 21st. And, right. And that's going to be at That's 18, a week from the day. Yes. Okay. 1805 Bladensburg Road, Northeast. Okay. And uh, the they have a community room in the police uh, department. Uh, folks won't be railroaded <laughs> because they're at the police station. It's the war- District 5, you know, police station. And uh, this will be an opportunity for folks to get together to deal with it. In fact, I think that following the 23rd that uh, uh, Jeremiah Lowry is having a kickoff for his campaign and you know, folks can go online and see uh, about his background. He's a Washington Washingtonian, went to Anacostia, uh, graduated also from the University of Maryland, and uh, I've I've begun to hear uh, some very positive things about him. Well, Campbell, thanks so very much for coming on. We're about out of time right now, so I appreciate this. And for those of you who need help with your with your taxes, please check out the Urban Housing Alliance. And everybody else, please have a wonderful week and live cooperatively. Thank you. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, 95.9 FM.